Hey guys, we've recently partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. If you're tired of having your hunting and outdoor posts taken down and flagged, be sure to check out Go Wild, which was built by outdoorsmen and women just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, but they are also encouraged on Go Wild. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn more points, you unlock awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, knives, and huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Use code HTW to receive 10% off your order today. Download Go Wild at GoWild.com or in the App Store. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Hunt the Wild podcast. I'm your host Adam Bolds. Today I'm joined with uh, Braden Ware of Go Wild. How you doing, Braden? Doing well, man. Thank you. Doing good, yeah. Uh, you've been sick, so probably getting over <laughs> that a little bit. Yeah, doing better might be a better answer. Uh, just coming off the, the flu or whatever you call the great American outdoor show crud or something like that. They've got the shot show crud that's known for it's just yeah. everybody kind of comes out not feeling super well. Well, uh, could you introduce and tell everybody a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got started in hunting and the outdoors? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so Braden Ware, um, I work for go wild right now. I live in, uh, just a little bit north of Louisville, Kentucky, um, in Southern Indiana, actually not too far from old Adam, uh, learned that recently. So we might be doing some hunting together. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I got introduced to hunting, uh, when I was like 15, probably. So I didn't grow up in a family hunting. Nobody in my family really hunted. Um, I have a grandpa that's got a lot of land, um, but we would just go out there and fish and hang out and he had a pool and stuff like that. Um, but my uncle actually got some land, um, and decided he was going to start hunting and he just got bit by it, just loving it, like dove straight in. And so naturally he's kind of pulling me along and he's like, Hey man, you need to get into this. So, um, he actually got me to get my license and do the hunter ed and all that, got a muzzleloader. Um, and we actually shot a, what we thought was a doe, but ended up being a spike bug. Um, mm. the, my very first season, um, hunting and, uh, I played baseball. It's like all my life, all the way up through college. Um, and really after that season hunting with my uncle, I had, I kind of dropped hunting. Like I just didn't have time. High school baseball really picked up and I got real serious about chasing that down. And, so kind of fell away from it um, and then kind of cut to moving back here uh, from Tennessee when I was at school and um, was working at a marketing agency and um, just, you know, living downtown and not, you know, not super loving it. And so <laughs> started fishing again. And then we'll talk about how I came in to go out a little later, but um, I just I kind of just started wanting to get back into the outdoors and I still had a lot of the stuff I needed and um honestly go wild and my friends that go wild and a friend i met later are what pushed me back into it real seriously so 
um, that's where I'm at now. I've, I hunted last season, first season of bow season, and um, it was a lot of fun. But we'll we'll talk about that as we go. I won't just go into everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, was your first uh, your first deer kill? Was that with a muzzleloader? Was yeah. Yeah, I don't hear that very often. No, no it was. It... Uh, I didn't have a rifle or anything like that, and my uncle kind of just was like this is real easy. Just grab you a cheap muzzleloader and cheap optic and we'll go. So, yeah, usually I hear, um, of course, shotgun or rifle. Shotgun. And then I hear like, um, a bow, but never, I don't think anyone's ever told me they shot their first deer with a muzzleloader. Cause there's a little yeah. that goes into it as yeah. far as like, you don't just put a bullet in, you got to kind of know what to um, pack the charge and make sure it's packed well and make sure it goes off and stays dry. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was fun. So you just came home with the, the crud from the great American outdoor show. Um, can you kind of tell everybody what the great American outdoor show is and kind of where it's at and everything? Yeah. So um, it's a consumer show um, for basically everything outdoors. Uh, it goes down in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, which I had never been there before. Uh, and basically 200,000 of your very best friends who love what you love are walking around a huge building um, where they do like huge livestock and farm shows and all this stuff. And there's, there's entire halls dedicated to like the different things in the outdoors. So you've got like your outfitters, you've got your tactical stuff, your archery wing, there's, an entire 3d archery shooting room like huge exhibition room where people stand up on platforms and shoot so people will be walking in with their bow and they'll go shoot and do stuff like that huh. i mean it's it's everything you could want it would take an entire day um from 10 a.m to 7 p.m to like at a mild pace walk through every single aisle i mean it it was wow we would see the same people walk in and walk out at like it, at about that interval 10 a.m to 7 p.m you'd see them once wow. at 10 and then again at 7 so that's a yeah. that's a big building is that uh is that the first uh like trade show or show that you've worked did you go to the ata well uh i actually missed ata with covid uh -oh. um, man you, yeah, you man. have a you have a thing Bad for getting luck. sick I know. And it's funny, like, I'm never sick. Like, I never have the flu. I never, I'm always super healthy. I just am lucky that way. And I have been excited for ATA for a year. I mean, I was greatly looking forward to it. We had um, a Go Wild VIP party. So we brought in a bunch of the folks that I've been working closely with for, you know, over a year with all these Zoom calls and all the stuff like that. And finally they're going to, you know, come into town, come into Louisville and we were going to host them and do a big thing, which we still did. I just, I wasn't there. Um, so I had to give up to my ticket to, or give up my ticket to a buddy and miss that one. Um, <laughs> so this was my very first uh, outdoor trade show working. I went to like the RV boat shows and stuff like that in Louisville every year growing up, but this was my first one, like work in a booth. So it was a that, heck of a one to start with. That sucks that you had to miss ATA because it's so close to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and we were going to go to the um, the Badlands Film Festival as well. We got tickets to that. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's like a... Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Never been to it, but I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty epic event. Everyone's always really excited about it. And um, so I was pumped for that too, and I missed that too. So 
Yeah. Yeah, I seen uh, I seen uh, just on a side note, I seen Paul Campbell was there at um mm-hmm. the at the at the trade show with you guys. Had him on a, as a guest a couple weeks ago. Uh, chat yeah. a little bit about about turkey hunting. So, um, yeah. what all does does working at a trade show consist of? Kind of talk about um like building the booth and all of that like as like a company is that something you prepare for like months ahead of time building that booth and i'm sure it's got to be a lot to transport it all across the country you know and set it all up how long does all that take yeah um so when we decided we were going to go i mean it was it was a while back and we, you know, being a startup, we decided, you know, we're going to do this. If we're going to do this, we're going to do it all ourselves. Um, you know, we're not going to pay tens of thousands of dollars to, you know, have a company, you know, design and build our booth and all that. Plus, you know, we can, we can do it. We've got the, you know, the skills and the know-how we can figure this thing out. And, um, it was, it was months of planning. And I mean, it's, you got to think, so we had a 10 by 20 booth. So we did more than just like set out a table and like some chairs and a little bowl of candy. Like we had a whole concept we come up with, like we were trying to do this whole big thing. So we had a vision for it. So we had to come up with what that was going to be. We had to think about the context of like where we were in the show and, and what we wanted to like present ourselves as, because there's actually rules about like specifically at that show about like what you can present. So like if you tell the great American outdoor show, Hey, you know, we want, we're going to be in the tactical hall, which is essentially where we were. Um, I'm not sure if that's exactly what they called it, but it, it was essentially like, you know, black rifles and, you know, gear mm-hmm. for that type of deal. Uh, you can't go there and then just sell hunting stuff or do an entire fishing booth or like you have to, you know, follow their rules and, and do what you said you're going to do. So um, go wild does everything. So we kind of yeah. like, we, we kind of put we you guys in to, a weird spot, doesn't it? Yeah. We, well, we had the chameleon a little bit, you know, we had to come up with like the concept was built around like censorship in the outdoors and censorship for, for rifles and guns on other social media platforms and things like that. Um, so it's, it's not, it wasn't super hard for us to, to fit that mold while, you know, we do a lot of hunting and fishing stuff. Um, so we were able to really kind of mix everything together and lead with tactical Um, but yeah, so we spent months, you know, literally building board by board, um, a booth. So we had a big, great long wall that was eight foot tall, 20 foot wide that was put into sections that then we, we could then screw together. So once you're, you can build it, but then you've got to think about, um, you know, you can build it at home, but you got to think about building it at a show. Um, so we had to, think through that whole process and, you know, without any of us ever doing it before, you know, we got some things wrong and we learned some things, but overall, I mean, it worked. We, we got it there. Um, I wasn't part of the team that went originally and then built it at the show. I was a part of the team that flew in um, Monday and then stayed through the end of the, till the following Monday and tore down. So uh, I got the pleasure of, of tearing it down and carrying large pallets and glass cases and products and stuff. (laughs) out of the show with the flu uh so that was just like a raging fever trying not to die uh but but yeah man uh if it wasn't 19 degrees i didn't have the flu it wouldn't have been that bad but uh it was it was pretty rough <laughs> so we learned a lot and we got some we got some ideas for for ways to improve and um yeah and then actually working the booth was part of your other question so 
Um, you pretty much show up in the morning about an hour before. Um, you try to leave the booth without taking down too much, but you want to make sure things don't get stolen while you're gone. Mm. Um, so we would, you know, we had like, we would screw all these boxes down so that, you know, it'd be really difficult for someone to get in. We had, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of merchandise there, um, that we wanted to make sure it was safe. So, um, we'd show up, unscrew everything, and then we called it merchandising. So basically make everything look pretty, set everything out. We would hang signs and, and really get the booth ready. And then they would sing the national anthem. They had somebody like absolutely belted out every morning. It was awesome to get the goosebumps like you're about to play a football game or something. And then they unleash the gates and everybody comes through. And then you're just selling product, talking to people and, you know, doing that whole thing. Yeah, it's crazy that you have to think about theft at something like that. But I guess uh, mm -hmm. if you guys have to leave or something. There's still people walking around probably all times of the day and night. Um, so Correct. you got to secure yeah, everything they have down just like a store. Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, they do have security, but it's like, you know, how much of your inventory are you willing to put in somebody else's hands? You know, it's like, <laughs> you got to think if somebody was going to go try to jack stuff from people, they'd probably take the easy stuff. So we just tried to make it difficult. You know, if, if somebody was really motivated, they probably could have found a way, but yeah, somebody, that's how we thought about security it. Security guard might be trying to snag a free t-shirt or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, we left t-shirts out because we were like, hey, if somebody steals it and they wear it, you know, free advertising, it's no big yeah. deal. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess you guys, there was a pretty big turnout there then, huh? I, I saw ATA seemed like it was the numbers were lower. I was mm -hmm. kind of curious about uh, this. Yeah, um, there was definitely a lot of people. Um, like I said, I, I had never been to, to any show or this one before. Um, I was told that they broke their attendance record on the first Sunday um, that I, I wasn't there. I, I came the following day. Um, but everybody said it was like absolutely jam-packed, shoulder to shoulder, like all the way through the halls, which would have been a massive amount of people. Um, and it was, I mean, it was a lot of folks when I was there too, like, I was uh, I was pretty impressed. There was it. I heard there were some down days and stuff like that, which we experienced that a little bit. Like on Tuesday, there was less, um, which just kind of makes sense. I think you know when you think about all the folks in the area trying to pick a day to come. Like you know, Tuesday might be the lower likely day of all the days. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we were we were not disappointed with the amount of traffic. We we really felt like there was a strong showing and people were kind of pent up from not being able to go the previous year because it got canceled. So how many people you think you guys would see a day just on a guess, like a thousand, or you think you'd see more than that at, at your booth? At our booth? Um, man, I don't even, I don't even know how to think about that. Um, I know that they say 200,000 people come through over the nine days. Wow. So that would be like roughly 20,000 at the show a day. So, I mean, I would be willing to bet, yeah, somewhere in the ballpark of five to 7,000 coming by our booth. I mean, it was a lot. Like, it was a lot of people constantly streaming by and stopping and talking. And it was, it was more than we could handle, honestly. It was, what, it was a lot. Was Brad's, uh, was Brad's hand wore out from signing autographs on T-shirts? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, he's a big celebrity. No, I mean, we, we did have uh, several people from Go Wild, you know, like stop by and, and hang out. And we were giving away a gift to everyone from Go Wild. So it was it was fun to like actually get to meet members and yeah. uh, talk to them a little bit about, you know, their experience with the platform. And um, yeah, it was it was fun. 
Yeah, Brad's you, a big old uh, deal. Don't don't let him hear hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> did you uh did you have any negative experiences like somebody walked by? I imagine at a at a trade show like that, maybe you wouldn't, but maybe some people slip in like some hardcore vegans or something and walk by and yell some stuff at you guys. Do you have any kind of like crazy negative experience at your first show? I I really didn't. Definitely not in that realm. Um, so it's the National Rifle uh, Association show. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I think it would be kind of hard to sneak in. I don't know if someone could bite their tongue that long. It's it's very <laughs> clear what everyone is there to do. Um, yeah, I definitely didn't have any like negative things like that. Um, I'm trying to think like if anything, it would just be people like, you know, haggling, you know, you like tell them what the price of something is. They'd be like, oh, that's ridiculous. But no, like I, I didn't have anyone like yell or, or get upset. It was pretty um pretty straightforward there were some folks with some some pretty wild outlooks on life that they were pretty excited to share with us that we were just kind of like okay kind of smile and nod type deal but nobody's <laughs> I, really malicious or anything like that i know with big crowds sometimes like i've been to big concerts up in like indian stuff and those can get pretty wild do they serve alcohol there that kind of uh crossed my mind too because sometimes people can get a little wild if they've had too much to drink if they taken mm-hmm. a week off work and want to walk around and <laughs> and get a little hammered yeah no they do they do serve alcohol there um i think all i saw was beer um i i don't i didn't see anybody really drunk i would be i would imagine they make it very expensive um you know and so somebody would really have to shell out to if they really (laughs) wanted to get that way or bring their own but yeah uh, definitely i didn't experience anybody you know that was over served I guess. <laughs> so for somebody who's never been to a trade show like me, what's something that you kind of, um, what's something that I could just expect going to a trade show? Like, do I just walk around and just like walk up to a booth and they're going to try to sell me a bunch of product or are they um, doing like demonstrations? Like just what would it be like for maybe um, like from the customer side? I know you probably weren't there as a customer, but. Well, I was a little bit, so I got to walk around a tad. Um yeah, I mean, I, this show being a consumer show, there's definitely a lot of people there trying to sell something. So whether it's like guide services or products or things like or joining a, you know, a foundation, something like that, um, you know, everybody's kind of pushing something and mm-hmm. that is that like everyone has a goal. But I, I really felt like a lot of like the approach that the folks were taking was like a helpful one and like trying to identify like you know, say hello, talk to you a little bit, figure out what you're into and, you know, kind of be like, okay, here's how I can help you kind of thing. It wasn't a lot of like, Hey, buy this, buy this, buy this, because people would start like snaking around that booth and avoiding it. Like you want to be inviting and you, you really, I mean, as a consumer, when you're walking around that show, it's really just kind of looking around, smiling, saying hello to folks and looking at the different products. There's, there's plenty of demonstrations, they have, you know, people come in and do talks so you can sit down and listen to people. Um, you know, it's, it, it, you can really make it whatever you want it to be. You, you can walk straight down the aisle and, you know, not acknowledge anyone. But, um, you know, after work in the booth, like we're humans, we're not trying to be, you know, rude or anything for the most part. It's just, you know, we're, we're selling product and legitimately some people want the things that we're selling. So we're, you know, trying to get eyeballs and, um, you know, sell them. So I would say like, if I give a tip to a consumer, like 
you know, have a rough idea of the booths that are going to be there and then make kind of like a, in your head, at least like, here's the top three to five booths or things that I want to see when I'm there, because it can be super overwhelming. Like there's just tons and tons of stuff. And if you walk in there with no agenda or no idea at all, you're going to find yourself just kind of, you know, looking all over the place and you might, you might leave disappointed because you didn't get to see what you wanted to see ultimately. So. Is, so is there an advantage of me maybe coming there um, to buy something over maybe just going to whoever's booth or, you know, whoever, whatever uh, company's website and buying something, is it usually um, stuff that hasn't been released yet? Is there like uh, discounts? It depends on the show um, and it depends on the company, I guess. Most of the time you're, you're going to see discounts and you're going to see like exclusive, like sh what they call them show deals. Okay. Um, so like a lot of times because the company doesn't have to ship the product, you know, they, they can make it, they can make a, a mm. deal on it or, you know, sometimes they can sell it cheaper legally there because there's less um, regulation. Um, it's more of kind of like a, just a, um, an exchange um so there's some things like that and especially at the end of the show um where people have driven a bunch of stuff to the trade show and don't want to take it home so mm -hmm. now you can really wheel and deal and be like hey you know uh and i see you got a bunch of whatever's back there i doubt you want to take those what are they going for today kind of thing and you know yeah. we did that we we made deals and um you know cut people some some pretty sweet deals on, on the last day for sure. So uh, people, people yeah. got that money burning a hole in their pocket. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I want to transition to kind of how you landed a job at go wild. I know you said you work at like a marketing agency before. Were you, um, were you in the outdoor space then, or was it something totally unrelated and how'd you, how'd you end up linking up with go wild? Yeah, it was really unrelated. Um, a lot of B2B stuff. I did some like e-commerce, things like that. Um, I really, I started working there while I was finishing up my MBA and it was just kind of like a natural transition of like I was part-time, kind of like a contractor and they brought me on full-time. So I didn't really give much thought into what I was going to do after school. Like I was just, I was kind of just pulled into that job um, and I actually worked there for a year while I still finished school. Um, and so I just, I hadn't, I really didn't think a lot. I was just, you know, trying to get through life, make some money, get through school, get through job, whatever. And then when I really, I took some time to reflect and I was like, man, like I want to get involved with startups. I want to do cool things. Like I want to try something different. Um, you know, I, I want to, you know, there's a decent startup scene in Louisville and there's some cool stuff going on. I wonder like what I can drum up. And, um, I actually stumbled upon go wild. Um, you know, I was watching meat eater shortly after and I was like, man, it'd be crazy. Like if go wild would work with meat eater and I was just having all these thoughts, I was scrolling, go wild using it and just thinking about like how cool it was and all these different possibilities there are with it. Um, and I was actually like fast forward a bit. I was actually at a breakfast with my marketing agency boss and, um, happened to notice Brad and, I didn't know it, but one of his co-founders at the time, Donovan, he's still a co-founder and um, works at Go Wild. But um, I got up after my meeting with my boss and when my boss walked out. I dropped my mug off uh, at the at the 
uh, cashier and just kind of swung by their table. And I was like, Hey, you're Brad from go wild. He was like, yeah, I am. Um, I was like, well, I keep up with you on LinkedIn and I absolutely love go wild. It is such a cool product. Like, and I'm super proud it's being built in Louisville. Um, you know, I'm Braden Ware. Nice to meet you. And he goes, well, Hey, you know, this is Donovan. And I was like, okay, you guys have a great, great afternoon. And I just left. And then like a couple days later, I uh, sent a direct message to Brad on LinkedIn, something to the effect of like, Hey man, like, I love what you guys are doing. If you all are ever building out your marketing team in the near future, let me know. And I think it was like seven days later, 10 days later, something like that. Um, job opening sales and marketing coordinator comes up. I applied not thinking that I was going to get it. Um, <laughs> I went to the first interview and I really loved meeting Brad and Erica, but it was actually the very last meeting they had before COVID lockdowns and the very last meeting I had before COVID lockdowns. Wow. Um, and so had two more meetings with them and did an interview and um, you know, I thought it went well, but I, I didn't have the experience they were looking for. I knew that. Um, and so I was just really trying to sell myself on like, look, I'm young and I'll get after it at a startup kind of thing. Like I'm here to learn. This is what I've done, but you know, it's, it's not a lot. I, I would just love this opportunity. And, uh, I think it was just a really good fit. Um, we really got along and, um, ultimately it, it kind of, it came together and I decided to jump and work a new job at a, at a new startup during the pandemic and uh yeah it's worked out so far so just kind of landed into it at a bar or a restaurant or something that's yeah a, a coffee that's shop, a crazy yeah. story yeah coffee yeah. shop yeah my favorite coffee shop and come to find out it's their co favorite coffee shop as well so so i have to yeah. know was was uh was your interview with brad rough were you nervous was he a stickler? oh i was super nervous so it was like <laughs> it was my it was really my first true interview like i said i i I got the job at the marketing agency because I was trying, I thought I wanted to create a marketing agency. So I met a founder or an owner of a marketing agency. And after discussing, you know, like what I was trying to learn, he was like, do you want a job? So I never even had an interview with them. And then um, like a true one. And so I, now I'm having a real one for a job that I like high pressure, super duper want. Um, so <laughs> I was incredibly nervous. I was trying to stay calm and just be myself and all that. But, yeah, I, I really wanted the job. So I'm sure I was a bit of a goober, but, um, but yeah, it was, <laughs> they asked some tough questions. Um, I remember uh, they definitely wanted to like hear about the little experience I did have. They wanted to hear about like some specific examples of things that like they had plans to do. And they wanted to know that like, I at least knew how to do those things. And so, um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was nerve wracking, but cool worked stuff. out. You landed it. So what's a typical day uh, at Go Wild as a marketing specialist uh, kind of consist of? Do you work remotely or do you work in the office? A little bit of both. How far actually are you from the office? So I'm about 30 minutes from the office. Um, okay. We're totally flexible on our schedules. Um, Brad lets the whole team, um, you know, kind of choose what we want to do. So um, I really enjoy the team and we all have fun together. So I'm at the office a lot. Um, but I'll usually take, you know, a day, maybe two a week and work from home. Um, that would, I, I usually try to leave those days for, for times where I just need to like get heads down on stuff and I need to like really focus and, you know, do some things like that, but no day to day. Yeah. No distractions. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of hunting and fishing stories around every turn that go out. So it's like, imagine I can, that 
I, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. And we're all good friends. Like we all, you know, we're constantly hunting and fishing together and stuff. So it's, it's like kind of being at a place with your buddy. So you can imagine like how tough it is sometimes to really lock in, but, um, yeah, day to day, like I, I just, I have my hands in a lot of different things. So, um, my day to day is, is very different. Uh, it changes a lot, which I, I really like. Um, so I, I do a lot of our like content management. Um, so I work with like all of our content creators. I do our media buying. Um, so that's a lot of conversations with, you know, content creators of all different kinds. Um, a lot of podcasters and things like that. Um, I don't know. I, I basically fill in wherever I'm needed. Uh, I help in the warehouse on occasion, whenever we're over busy. Um, I don't know, man, a lot of meetings and things like that. I help, um, you know, on, on brand partnership type stuff on like launching new brands in the platform. Um, Jacob handles all that, but, um, I help him with some of that. I help SEO and, you know, making sure our, our product pages look the right way and, um, help, you know, all kinds of different stuff. I can't even like list it. It, it changes often and I'm doing different things. Um, but really my, my primary focus in all the things I do and, and like what gets kind of kicked my way is on like getting the word out about go wild. Um, so there's, you know, I'm kind of on that prong of the marketing strategy. Um, so once they're in the app, we have someone that, that takes care of that and in the community that, that takes care of them and really manages their experience. And then me and her both report to Brad. Um, so that's kind of how, so do you do any of the, uh, like, I guess I'll call it content creation. Like when I opened go wild and I saw that they had, um, like a badge for the, the outdoor show. Is that something that you would do? Like, like putting that up on there and designing that, or you guys have somebody else that does that? So I'm not, I'm actually not a graphic designer at all. Um, I'm not good at that in any way. Um, <laughs> I would, you know, maybe have some input, but ultimately that's not my decision either. That would be under uh, Erica, who is our director of member experiences. Um, so cool. once you're in the community and you're seeing all that stuff, she's really focused on that. Um, we work together on like product promotion stuff in the platform. Cause that kind of touches both of our worlds. Um, but everything else, you know, she's, she's running that show and, and makes it awesome. So yeah. Brayden's the one that's sucking you into the app that you can't ever get yeah, out I'm of. Just, it's like, uh, I'm trying to, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, cool you get, you get, you get caught in what I call the trap, but it's a good trap to mm-hmm. be in. I, I love push and go wild. I'm sure people will get tired of me harping on the podcast about it but man i love it there i'm so happy that i can post a photo and not like wake up in the morning and know that it's going to be like my account's going to be banned or i'm going to be like i don't know suspended for seven days or yeah man it's it's cool and it's cool to get a good insight um on you know the internals of it because a lot of times you just open the app you don't really think about how it all works so for me I don't know. I just, I I like knowing how everything works and how everything comes together. And um, there's all these people that have to make it all work. So we can go on there and post pictures of whatever it is, guns or dead deer or squirrels or recipes or whatever it be. Yeah, Um, no, you're absolutely right. So what's it like to work with a bunch of people that like to go hunting all the time? I know you kind of touched on that a little bit. Does that ever cause conflict? Does Brad give you guys uh, time off during the rut? Well, uh, 
Well, it, first of all, it's awesome. Um, I mean, just working with a bunch of folks that like fundamentally, like we all really enjoy a lot of the same things. And so that just kind of, you know, overall just makes it such a fun place to, to work and like hang out just like genuinely we enjoy being around each other. Like I'm going fly fishing with a couple of my buddies from go wild um, Sunday morning. So like it, you know, we we're constantly doing stuff like that. That's not like a go wild sanction event. We don't have to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, so we, uh, we actually started a show based on this. It's called uncensored, uh, where we literally just come in and we talk about basically what happened over the previous week. Um, you know, in the outdoor world. So like whatever hunting trip or fishing trip or whatever we we've been talking about, like great American outdoor show a lot recently, just because that's all that any of us have been able to do. But, um, but yeah, so ultimately like we're coming in and we have to not share those stories so that we can talk about them for the first time on the podcast. But it came out of, we would show up on Monday and spend just a ton of time. Like, you know, this is what me and so-and-so are doing this. And it's just, we're constantly talking about stuff, asking questions and learning um and uh brad you, you asked about do we get time off during the rut um you, we don't like we don't get dedicated time off specifically for the rut but um he brad really is awesome about just like if you get your work done it doesn't matter you know like if you need to yeah. go do something and handle something like go do it um and all of us you know we really care about go wild there's we're still such a small team there's only like 13 of us full time. Like we care about go wild. We're not looking to like cheat out on work and like ditch or anything like that. So he right. knows that if we're going to, you know, ditch out at, at two o'clock so we can get in the stand at three and maybe catch the last few hours, like that's not a big deal. He specifically one time, uh, maybe I'll tell this story in a little bit. Like I told him a story of what happened the previous day and he was like, what are you doing here? Go get in the woods. Like he told me to leave. He's like, go. Like, you You're like, is that an order? <laughs> yes, sir. Kind of so, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's good knowing that um, if you leave a couple hours early, you know, you can catch up maybe when you get back. Um, exactly. You don't necessarily have to be there um, nine to five or whatever the specific hours. Um, yeah. Are. He's not a babysitter at all. He, he really kind of cares about the work getting done you know, and getting done well. So I, I, I appreciate that a lot. I think it makes it a lot of fun to work there. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you guys ever eat any crazy wild game at the office? People always bring it in like, I don't know, goose hearts or chicken feet or something. I don't know, something wild and crazy coyote yeah. maybe. No, not coyote. Um, we did, um, we did some beaver, uh, in a crock pot. Um, that was pretty good. I think it was I think it was like beaver roast. I can't remember. Uh, we've done goose pastrami. Brad is a big fan of deer heart. So he smokes a lot of deer heart. Um, I, he does like backstrap cold all the time and brings it in with like cheese and crackers. And uh, I don't know. It's there's a lot of stuff kind of coming in, um, but it's not it's not like every day or anything like yeah. that. But especially like if we have any type of team event or anything like that, we're always trying to work in wild game um somehow so i've got to try some stuff like i never would imagine i'd eat beaver uh, it was actually pretty awesome like it was pretty good pretty good stuff so who's the uh you can give him a shout out Who, who's the beaver killer at go wild well uh that one was mike larson 
um, if I okay. remember correctly. Uh, yep. He doesn't work at Go Wild. He sent it to us. Uh, Derek Tolls is the resident beaver trapper killer around Go Wild, though. He works a lot in the warehouse and, and helps us with like fulfillment and things like that. Um, he's also a firefighter. Um, but yeah, he's, he's big. I, I invited him to come, uh, fly fishing with me Sunday. He's like, no, I'm running my, my last good trap line that day. So I can't come. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's got to get some beavers to bring into the office next year. I guess. Maybe this I year. Mean, I can't complain. Yeah. That that's fine with me. So, um, you're pretty new to bow hunting, right? You got, you just got started yep. in that this year. What made you want to mm-hmm. pick a, a stick and a string and, and drop the smoke pole? Yeah, right. Uh, so I've since picked up like a shotgun. I have a 350 Legend and some of that stuff. But um, I I just really, am, I was attracted to the whole process of it. Like um, I've got some buddies, you know, that, that do it. And um, a lot of the podcasts that I listen to and YouTube shows are really big on it. Um, the Hunting Public and Seek One and, you know, some of these guys, Parker McDonald, they're all just ate up with it. And I live in a neighborhood. I live in like rural Indiana, but I, and I'm really close to like a lot of places I can go get out in the woods, but um, I live in a neighborhood. Um, so I really love the idea of being able to just like walk out in my backyard and shoot my bow. Um, and I could do that all the time. Um, and I could, you know, it's something that you never really master. You've just got to like keep getting better at it. Um, and, and I really kind of thought about it as like a replacement for hitting. Um, so growing up, you know, baseball, like I was constantly working on my swing, constantly trying to be a better hitter. Uh, I feel like archery is a lot like that. And it's kind of like, you know, with hitting, I'd go and just hit buckets of balls off the tee and just like working on these little micro adjustments and trying to engrave these movements, ingrain these movements and get better and better. Um, you know, shooting a bow is exactly the same way. Um, so that's been fun. And I, I really just, I like the idea of having to get close, you know, like, I think that that's, it makes hunting, um, you know, it adds a a challenge, an additional challenge. It's already super difficult, but you know, even it makes it even more difficult. So I kind of felt like if I could get that down, um, and I needed to go, you know, shoot something with a rifle to fill the freezer at the end of the season, I could always do that. Um, and it gives, it gives me a couple extra weeks of hunting. So, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things that I was weighing uh, on top of a bunch of people like kind of pushing me into it. So, so um, as far as like a couple extra weeks of hunting, you said, I know um, you're in Indiana. Do you hunt Kentucky at all? Cause I know their, their archery season starts like a month prior to Indiana's. I, I don't. Um, I actually looked at going down there um, this season and I, still might um it just depends on how much i'm actually going to be able to get out down there it's it's pretty expensive the tags are not super cheap um and public land is it's about 300 or 350 i think for an out-of-stater which is hard to bite when you live like 20 minutes away like i do or you do yeah right so um and it's it's all the public land pressure over there is also a lot higher um so i'm not super attracted to that I, I really love hunting public land and i don't know i'm yeah. sure i will eventually i and i'm i probably still will this fall i just i'm kind of apprehensive right now it's uh the only negative man is it's hot it's 80 90 degrees and the mosquitoes and but if you're dedicated yeah. you can make it happen I'm, I'm still trying to kill a velvet 
Kentucky buck. I, I started hunting Dang. Kentucky three years ago, I think, and I haven't been able to seal the deal, but um, I'm going to keep after it, man. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do if I shoot a deer at 90 degrees, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> better hurry. Yeah. <laughs> what definitely. You better do. <laughs> so um, yeah. when you were selecting a bow, um, can you kind of talk about the whole shopping process and, and what you looked into as far as this bow over that bow? Was it price range? Was it what someone recommended? Did you just buy one on Go Wild and have it shipped to your door? Um, what'd that kind of look like for you? So, um, I actually, uh, met, uh, and had meetings with, uh, Alec Wayman from bear archery and, um, he does a lot, he does their marketing over there. And I kind of like got in my head, like if I ever were to get into bow hunting, I'm going to shoot a bear. I really love like the whole Fred bear tie in and history and story of it. Um, <laughs> that's so, what I shoot. Uh, that's what you shoot as well. Awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, and so it's just, I, I really felt like I, I had that preconceived kind of idea. And once I really like was boiling down to like, I'm doing this, what I'm going to, what am I going to do? I, I truly just felt like for someone getting into it for the first time that they had the best like value options for like what, what you're going to put your money into it and what you're going to get out of it. I felt like it would give me like an awesome experience, you know, like as archery wise, it's not like cheapo and it's not going to break and it's not going to, um, you know, be a, a bad experience. It's going to keep me from doing it longer, but it's going to like, you know, be a true taste of what it's really like. And then if I wanted to one day, you know, jump up to one of their really high end, they, I mean, bear has expensive bows yeah, um, that are, you know, super, super nice. Um, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go that route immediately. Um, and then Alec kind of helped me out. He, he gave me some direction. He narrowed it down that he was like, you should be looking at these three bows and here's why on each. Um, so I, uh, I ultimately went with the, the whitetail legend, um, mm -hmm. which is, yeah. uh, it's actually back there in Fred bear camo, of course. So I, uh, yeah. I look, I looked at that one as well. I ended up going with the bear legit. I don't know if yep. you're familiar with that one, but um, yeah, I actually bought a new bow last year. But prior to that, I had been shooting a used youth bear young gun that was probably made in like, if I was going to guess, I don't even know, 2008. And uh, <laughs> I really loved it because it was short axle to axle. And I'm not a very yep. big guy. So right. um, it only went up to like 46 or 48 pounds. But I mean, mm -hmm. um, it, it was enough for me. I shot tons of deer with it so i didn't have any issues I, I got to the point where i wanted to shoot mechanicals so i was like uh -huh. i'll buy a, a bow that i can maybe crank up to 60 um bought some rages took them back never even got them out of the package and just stuck with the muzzy so uh i don't know maybe yeah. i should have kept that other bow but i love bear man they they for anybody wanting to just get started they have great packages that include all the arrows the whisker biscuit the rest whatever mm -hmm. And I love bear. I don't, if if yeah. I there, there's definitely more expensive bows. Maybe um, for me, I think going more expensive would just maybe make uh, a lighter bow. But because um, bear, yeah. bear bows are a little bit heavy. But I mean, other than that, I mean, at the price difference, I'm like, there's not really that much difference, you know. And and bows are so um, 
they're they're so with it now they're so fast and everything it's not um there's not a huge difference for what you might pay double triple quadruple the price for a naked bow yeah and i mean i think a big thing is i think my bow in particular is super quiet um Mm -hmm. i i really like that about it but if i could do like one day what i will upgrade i'd I'd like to have you know the the dual cams i just think having a a better let off would be really nice because um i have a shoulder injury and so it's it's sometimes really tough for me to, to hold steady for a long time i can do it long enough but i i worry you know if i did pull back early that i would have a really tough time like staying steady yeah um so i have to practice that a lot i'm getting better at it but it would just be nice to to have you know a little more let off back there so what yeah, kind overall, of um, i love it i'm interested when when i kind of got started in bow hunting i was probably i was around 16 and i i picked up a used martin bow somebody let me actually borrow and they like flung me a release it was one of the ones that strapped around your wrist it's just kind of like what everyone used back then, but I know there's a ton of different releases now. Um, and I've kind of stuck with that just cause I, I'm, I'm super used to it. Uh, what kind of release are you using? Are you using like a back tension release? Are you using one of the, the go around your wrist release? Yeah. So mine is the trophy Ridge draw point buckle strap. Um, mm-hmm. so it does go around my wrist. It's not the one where you got to do the, the pinch it's like a it's more of like a hinge oh a hook um yeah hook that's right um and so that's the one i've been using i've I've been looking at like you know a thumb release or something like that my buddy jacob just got one that's really cool um i don't know i i i really like that one that's what i've been practicing with it's it seems fine i don't have any issues with it i get the the ability to just like to not have it on my wrist all the time would be super nice you know but I've kind of gotten it down to where like I can spin it and get it like out of the way when I'm not mm-hmm. using it. Um, you know, I, there's, there's a lot of things in my setup that, that could be better, could be cooler and faster, but I'm just trying to, you know, get it done. <laughs> I've uh, that's something that you'll, you'll probably feel like you battle your whole archery career. It's something that I've, I've um, contemplated is getting away from that wrist strap because mm-hmm. I don't like, I love, I love going in and having that, on my wrist knowing that i'm not going to drop it um, yeah. but i hate getting to the stand and of course you know i take it off or whatever but i hate getting to the stand and like trying to put up sticks trying to trim limbs with that thing in the way it just seems so cumbersome but i just know if i go with anything other than that i'm going to end up dropping that sucker or bumping it and for me like if i don't have my release i'm pretty much screwed so i don't know I, i'm probably going to stick with that wrist release i know a lot of people carry extra ones that do yeah. like um the ones that hang on your bow and all that they carry extra ones in your bag but god some of those things are two or three hundred dollars like who wants to buy an extra one of those yeah no i'm, I'm with you i mean i i bought a uh, true ball first um yeah. before i got this trophy ridge one um so that one stays like in a specific zipper in my backpack if for some reason anything did happen because i keep this one like in a pocket and I keep it zipped, but it's like, you never know while you're walking out, like what you're going to run into. Like, I want to have it quickly to be able to grab it. But that's one thing I don't like is like, if I feel like if it's not already on my wrist, it's going to be really tough to like get it on my wrist in like a pinch. So mm-hmm. that's where, you know, like my buddy uses, um, that I hunt with uses a thumb release. And I, I, I think they're pretty cool and I, I get it. I'm just, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm sure I will, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> I've, uh, I've been bitten a few times. Um, oh, I'll just 
put my release in my pocket. I'm in a hurry. I got to get up in the stand. And then you walk in on a buck and realize he's 30 yards and you're trying to unzip your pocket or unvelcro your pocket for whatever reason you have Velcro on your clothing. Um, and it, it doesn't ever work out. So I always like try to put that on um, right when I leave the truck. Cause if you don't, it'll always come back to bite you. Um, yeah. Arrow and broadhead selection. Um, you talk about why you went with specific broadheads. Did the, uh, did the uh, bear archery guy lead you in the right direction with that? Or uh, did you so, just kind of research I, that on your own? So I have uh, my, my hunting mentor, he's my age, but he is 100% my mentor. Um, his name's Phil. And um, we hunted together like 97% of the time this, this season. Um, and he really kind of like led the way on pretty much everything, but the exact bow that I bought. Um, so he really pushed me towards some, some fixed broadheads. Um, I got the G five Montex, um, mm -hmm. broadhead. So, um, I, I really like those. I think the, the thought there is just, you know, the, the no, no failure. Right. So like there's some horror stories with mechanicals and all this stuff. Um, but then also it's kind of, there's some shot forgiveness there where like, if I did not place, you know, the, the perfect shot, hit a little bone or something like that, it's more likely to, to punch through, um, and be a little bit more forgiving. Um, so I like that and just trying to get pass throughs, you know, being my, my primary goal with that. And then on the arrow side, um, I actually went to the sporting club at the farm in new Albany. And, um, there's a fellow there in their archery shop that he like picked the arrows out for me. He was like, what yeah. are you trying to do? What broadheads are you using? Okay, cool. Here's these, what's your draw length? Got it. Cut them, put them on. And I was like on my way. So I was like, okay, <laughs> they weren't fine. So I haven't heard, um, I listened to a lot of podcasts too, believe it or not being a podcaster. I, I don't get my feel of podcasts, so I'm always playing them, but have you ever, yeah. um, and you may, you may have not been new to archery hunting. Have you heard about like tuning your broadheads? Have you ever heard about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we did do that, um, before the season, um, to make sure like the idea being that like the difference between the field point and the, like, um, so, so a lot of archery okay. shops now will like super glue your inserts in like the part that, um, your broadhead screws into, um, oh, okay. but, but back in the day, I guess my, my dad actually taught me this. They would, um, you hot glue the insert in cause you don't know where the broadhead's going to actually stop, um, with the threads and, you know, however they glue the insert in, they may twist it a little bit. So you don't really know mm -hmm. where the, the, the end point of the broadhead's going to be. So the thought behind it is you hot glue your insert in, and then you tighten your broadhead on, then you dip your arrow in boiling hot water to loosen that glue and then you like, you know, like a three blade muzzy or whatever, you would look down your fletching and you would actually turn one of your blades to meet your fletching. Oh. So your fletchings are actually met up with, um, I'm probably not describing this very well, but your fletchings are even with uh, the blades on your uh, broadhead. But that's something right. that I do. I don't know how much it helps, but I, I'm real big I mean on like super gluing in my inserts that's interesting i mean it makes sense right like you're gonna have less wind resistance that way mm -hmm. um so you would be less likely to plane it seems yeah. like um yeah that's interesting i we did not do that um 
this year. So that might be something I need to look at doing. Um, yeah, I, uh, I have, I've never actually heard anybody talk about it on a podcast, but um, an mm-hmm. archery shop that I use used to do it. They've, they've actually got two, one um, in Boonville and one in Evansville where I live. And the one in Boonville uh, hot glues them in, but the one in Evansville like super glues them in. But I got some arrows made up one day and I brought them home at the one in Evansville. And I'm like, why are these not turning? And they're like, we don't hot glue them in. We've never heard that. I'm like, mm. okay, I guess I'll buy some new arrows because, uh, I don't know how much it helps, but I, I just like it works Every little for me, bit. so I'm going to just yeah. keep doing it. But hey, guys, I just wanted to give a shout out to my friends over at Buffalo Ridge Jerky. They sent me over a couple of packages of jerky, and man, it's good. If you're looking to change up your jerky game or just try a different brand, I definitely recommend giving them a try. Yeah, um, why not? So you, you jumped into a saddle this year. Were you, uh, mm-hmm. were you using like a climber, or what were you kind of using before you hunting on the ground? uh we hung on the ground but primarily um i i did a i did a climber and then i did a, a hang on so my buddy phil um uh, hung on the, out of a saddle like from the onset of the season i think he'd been doing it for a couple years and so he would put his sticks on get up set his platform and then he would just strap the hang on to the side of the tree and i would go up his sticks and we would hunt out of the same tree um on either side man so he's making that, it easy on you he was yeah he made it he made it a lot easier on me than he maybe should have but um yeah so that was that was the deal i would just jump up there and good to go um and i honestly kind of there's a there was all kinds of reasons why i went that route but you know i just i i think for me and him to be able to split up is really important you know like being able to get like multiple vantage points on an area we usually go in with some questions on public land like here's what we think but you know, there's some, there's some theory here. We're, we're trying to work out and trying to understand like exactly what the behavior is going on. So if we had two vantage points, we could come back with double the info um, and obviously double the footprint. So, you know, there's more opportunities and things like that. Um, you know, being mobile is super important, you know, being able to like change plans. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's something like with the wind or weather changes, being able to jump from location to location, um and then i just i honestly hunting public land and and lugging a hang on around i did not like it i I thought it was it sucked (laughs) i hate especially a climber i mean we like to get out like we like to Mm -hmm. go places and you know he's a big digital scouting nerd so he'll you know find these little pockets of you know where he's like i think it's interesting that this is here and here's this here's that you know and so let's let's go out there and see what's going on and so we're we're hiking you know way out there and so i'm having to lug everything that comes with me and it got old really fast and so being able to just throw on the saddle and you know got my 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 backpack i've got my either my sticks cinched down or my bow and i'm i'm good to go it's super light setup and you know obviously it's super fast as well so um, what uh what made you choose a specific uh um saddle and sticks because i'm i'm in the market for one now too i'm not totally totally sure on what i want to get but kind of kind of sure um was there specifics you looked for or did you just go off uh recommendations um so i went with the with tethered um Mm -hmm. because one phil uses that but also like the hunting public uses that and dang near every other podcast i listen to uses that brand um, but I liked the phantom saddle, yeah. um, because it has that adjustable bridge. You can, you can like adjust the comfort level with that. 
Um, and I just really feel like Tethered is is doing it better than anyone else. Honestly, I feel like they're they're thinking through a lot of the problems that saddle hunters have and coming up with solutions for them. So like they make a platform that's super strong, like the Predator platform, but it is incredibly light. Like it's shockingly light. Like you feel like almost it's not strong enough to hold you up, but it, it definitely <laughs> is. And it's real small footprint. So, you know, you still get, you know, it fits right in my backpack. Um, but then like stuff, they come out the recliner. So if a lot of saddle hunters have back issues, you can kind of yeah. lean back in that you get a little bit more support and then they come out with like knee pads. And I, I just feel like they're thinking through how saddle hunters hunt and trying, and they obviously all saddle hunt. Um, we know some of the guys over there. Um, it just, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of what they're doing. Um, I went with the, the eight millimeter, um, ropes, just it's, it's a lot less room. It's a lot less bulky. It's, it's surprising how different eight millimeter is from 11 millimeter. Um, just from like using Phil's, um, he's got an 11 millimeter and then I have an eight. It's, it's significantly different. It's again, saving weight, that kind of thing. So. Is that based on how big of a guy you are? No, uh, -uh. I think you're, you're totally good. I forget how much weight it holds, but it's like, it's a ridiculous amount of weight. What would be an advantage, I guess, to buying a bigger rope? Uh, it's cheaper. Um, oh, it's cheaper to buy the cheaper. bigger one. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know exactly how much cheaper, but it is definitely a little bit cheaper. Um, what, what about, uh, what about sticks and, um, how, how wide's the platform? Um, so I have the predator, which they actually, they make a predator XL. Um, okay. but this is, this is the one I use here. So it's, it's that wide. Like 12, <laughs> I don't 14 know inches maybe. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of like wings out here. Um, yeah. And these little points, these little points are more useful than you think. You're kind of, you're leaning and, and looking around. Like you can, the advantage of this thing is you can get like all the way around the tree and still make a shot pretty much. So now um, do, do your, um, your sticks and your platform, do they just, do they tighten with like a, some kind of cinch knot on a rope or do you have like a cam buckle? Yeah. So it's actually a, a, a knot that I, I do. I forget what it's called. Um, but yeah, it, it all come, I come like over under and then tie yeah. and just cinch it down. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how that works. Um, um, do they called. have a cam buckle option or is that the only option that they um, offer? Do you know? So I actually got my sticks from my buddy, Phil. Um, so okay. I didn't, I didn't get those out of a box. I don't know how they came. Um, I mean, you could definitely, you could use a cam, I'm sure. Uh, but it, I mean, it's, you know, being able to just tie, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty easy. I don't know how much easier it would be to do, to do a cam, honestly. Yeah. It's, it's I'm, I'm kind of looking to stay away from cam buckles. I know they have like stealth tape and all that stuff, but uh, for me, I want to be super quiet. Ropes are quiet and they're light That's and they don't, advantage. they don't ding and dangle on zippers and everything else. There's nothing worse yeah. than, than having a piece of metal hit another piece of metal when you're trying to be quiet. Um, yeah. In your, in your stand or in your saddle. Yeah, no, That's exactly right. I like, I like being able to control everything I can control around the safety of stuff. So like eliminating points of failure of like, like hand buckle, you know, something rusted and just like breaks or something like, that could really suck. I mean, you could, the thing about a saddle that's cool is like, you're always, 
you know, on the tree, it's incredibly safe. So like, even if you didn't have any sticks, you could just kind of like shimmy your way down, down the tree and yeah. you'd be fine. Um, but yeah, that's, that's definitely one thing of just being able to tie a knot and you're good to go. Um, you know, how, how long does it usually take you? Um, I guess I'll ask you, how long did it take you at first, your first time? I imagine you practiced before you went out hunting, yeah. but how long did it take you to kind of set up the first time and what, what's your kind of your time now after you've kind of learned the process? Yeah. I mean, I haven't really got to do it a ton. I really only got to do it for like the last few weeks of the season um, mm-hmm. just because that's when all my stuff came in, but I used Phil's stuff before my came in. And I mean, I went out one time and just had a nightmare. Like my first time I had a nightmare of a time getting up in a tree. I mean, it was a, you know, it was like a, two or three o'clock I was getting out there at my grandpa's wind was really bad like I knew I was more just going out there to just you know I wanted to just get in a tree and try my stuff but was still like pretending you know hey it's a really great time to go hunt and so I tried to do everything like I would and it was just there's a million little things you don't think about um you know you you watch people on YouTube do it that's how I learned a lot of the things I know and um Phil gave me a crash course before I went out there and I just, it's, it's really challenging to, to figure it out and to get like the coordination. Also the, um, like the pat your packing system of like where things need to be and like what needs to come out first and when, and like how you're, you know, all that time trying to remember the knots you just learned and, you know, stuff like that. And then, you know, you start thinking about it, you're up in a tree, you know, you're, you're trying to get like 18 foot up, 20 foot up in a tree so there's a there's a little bit of a kind of nervousness of like I hope I'm doing this right because if I'm not this could this would be a, a not great fall, <laughs> um, and so yeah it's I, I would say like the first time I went out it was like probably it probably took me like 40 minutes to get up in the tree like it was forever I was struggling mightily, um, and then by the time I was like actually able to to do it by the end of the season you know maybe like 15 minutes Phil probably does it in like eight like he can he can really zip up there and, and get ready to go quick and um you know that's my goal for the season to, to get to that point but yeah there's a there's a lot of little things that kind of add up along the way that if you don't have them down it just compounds time and you know the more time you're like hanging on to the tree shaking sweating the longer everything else takes to so yeah i yeah. imagine it takes a little bit of time too getting used to breaking it down at nighttime. Yeah, that was definitely a thing. Um, yeah, because you learn the like how to do the knot, and then you got to learn how to undo the knot as well. Um, <laughs> so that took me a second uh, to figure that out. And yeah, being dark with a just a headlamp on um, wasn't super easy. And then trying to get it all back in the pack without having a specific place for everything, you know how that goes. So yeah, yeah, never yeah. seems to want to go. It's like when you buy a new product, you can never get it back in the package, like a Christmas tree. You're like, how do they get yeah. this thing in here? And you're like yeah. fighting it. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah. What kind of pack cool. are you rocking? Um, so I use the uh, Diablo VT um, for Badlands. Mm-hmm. Big fan of Badlands. Do people, so. do people like show their stuff on the... Heck <laughs> this, yeah, man. Is it cool I'm bringing this? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the Diablo Badlands VT. Um, I really love this thing. It's semi-structured back here. So it's got like a metal bar. Um, so it takes some of the weight off. It's vented. So when I'm hunting in September, it's not like absolutely killing me. 
Um, it integrates with a vinyl harness, which I don't have a chest rig yet, but so you don't have two straps. You can just have it right there on your backpack. Um, and then, you know, it's got a, a waist strap, a chest strap. My pistol fits in the, the side pockets here. Um, I mean, my entire saddle hunting setup is out of this thing. So, um, yeah. it's, it's like just big enough without being, you know, ridiculous and heavy. It's super light. It's super quiet. Um, waterproof, all that great stuff. So I'm a big fan. Yeah. Being, being light, that's something definitely that I struggled with this year. I was going in with a climber and, um, filming equipment and camera arms. Yeah. And by the time it was all said and done, I was at like 60 pounds. Looked like I was chasing elk out West. Cool. Like I've got a, I've got a, to tune it back a little bit. I've got to go lighter. Cause I mean, those climbers, you, you know, you put them on your back, they're not that bad, but then you go adding two uh, Nalgene bottles of water in September because it's 95 degrees outside and all that other stuff. It, it, it adds up quick. Those things are light by themselves, but not light with everything else you need. No. And they're like real cumbersome and real big. And yeah, like I, yeah you're just banging into stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's it's what's up. the biggest thing you um, learned as a first year saddle hunter? Is it probably just the 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 breakup or the putting up and takedown or, um, just being more mobile or. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I like the, the mobile side of like, there's less consideration on like whether you can get up in a tree versus yeah. like, how are you going to get up in the tree? Um, I really like that element. Um, and then like shot angle stuff. So like, with saddle hunting you're actually like positioning yourself behind the tree facing the direction of like your ideal shooting lane um so really you know it's you're using the tree as cover and so you're learning to like shoot around and lean and kind of get a feel for all that so um you know there's some there's some different elements to it but ultimately like i learned it's a lot lighter it can be a lot faster i'm, I'm not yet but um yeah, and it's it's incredibly mobile. So that's that's something I've I've really liked about it. That's something that I, I really turns me on about saddle hunting too. Is I always struggle with this. Um, yeah, I can't get my climber in this tree. I can get it in that one fifty yards away, but I need to be here. And when you're yeah. rifle hunting, it doesn't matter probably. But when you're archery yeah. hunting, fifty yards is a long way. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Definitely. So I imagine it has to be pretty pretty different to shoot a bow out of a saddle. I know this is your first year. You probably didn't shoot a whole lot out of a stand, but um, you think that takes a, a whole lot to get used to uh, shooting out of that versus maybe standing up or sitting in a summit or something. I, I mean, I, I didn't really think so. I mean, I think it's, you know, if you've shot out of a, a stand before, like the angle is roughly the same. Um, I mean, you're still trying to make sure everything's level. Um, you know, there's some, there's definitely some angles out of the saddle that like me as a first time saddle hunter, I would not take that shot. Mm -hmm. Um, like I watched Chris B, um, Chris B does it like, he's got a couple videos about like different saddle hunting angles and like, he's obviously like a world-class, you know, bow hunter and all this stuff. So he's doing some, he's taking some crazy shots and he was shooting like yeah. targets and stuff like that. But I'm like, you know, you can do that with the saddle. Maybe, you know, maybe you shouldn't. Um, so I just stuck to what I was comfortable with and it, it, it's not, you know, that much different. And it's, it's honestly like 
I felt more secure and safer doing that because sometimes like I can put, you know, I can have my feet on the platform and my knees on the tree. And so I'm like, I'm actually a little bit more connected. Um, and I, and I always knew that like, I was very secure to the tree. Like that's something that I, I really liked about it. So I just, I wasn't thinking about as much and I was able to just kind of, you know, relax and kind of think through the same things I was thinking through, like while I was shooting on the ground a bunch and stuff. So I didn't, I didn't think it was like a ridiculous adjustment. There's a, there's a couple points that, um, Phil and I are going to work on this, this summer getting ready for things, but, um, overall not that much different. You guys, uh, you guys like to run, run together. Any plans of taking a camera along in that saddle? <laughs> uh, you know, man, I don't know that there'd be a whole lot that people would enjoy of <laughs> me videoing myself, but, uh, <laughs> I, Phil has mentioned it a couple times, you know, I, we've just got so much to figure out. We kind of just fumble and bumble around out there a lot. And, and it's like, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think we got a ways to go before we unleash yeah. that on the people. That makes um, it, um, it's, it's so it goes from about, extreme like, to very extreme really quick when yeah. you go tying all that um, self filming and all that stuff and hauling in camera yeah. equipment and, yeah. um, Exactly. What kind of what kind of changes do you plan to do to your setup this year? Anything uh, anything you learn, like um, some buckles are making noise on your backpack, or um, maybe you're gonna go with the cheaper ropes? I don't know. <laughs> Not that <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna run my own sticks this year, which um, like this past year we shared the same set. Um, and so being able to like have my own, we'll be able to like truly separate, um, and do some things. Uh, and I mean, I think I'm definitely going to implement the recliner thing. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't, I didn't get it just, you know, I felt like it was kind of a frivolous thing, but, um, yeah. I've had so many people like I'm, I'm six foot one and you know, I'm, I'm a little, it's a little you know, it's not the most comfortable. I've got back problems and shoulder problems and neck problems and stuff just from being a ding dong my whole life. And, um, so I think being able to like recline a little bit, it takes some of the pressure off my back and my knees and stuff so that I can hang a little bit more comfortable for a longer period of time. Um, I don't know. I, those are the two big ones I've been thinking about, but I don't, I don't have a ton really just because I, I had just gotten into it very seriously at the end of season. Um, I, I've definitely got a ways to improve on like on, on my organization too. Um, yeah. you know, I, um, one, one thing that I've seen guys use that I don't have, um, is like this, I think it's called a, a his, his strap, like H Y S strap. And it goes around the tree and it's got like all of these little things you can clip into, which that will I think change. will help me your life best thirty dollars you'll ever spend all right yeah i do okay done yeah all right and um i i don't know if mine's like hunter safety system brand i thought i had it in my desk but i don't um but it's um actually i'm not sure what brand mine is but i know that that strap basically goes around and attaches with the cam Mm -hmm. buckle and it's got four or five Mm -hmm. of those hooks um you Mm -hmm. cinch that thing up but you may go hunting the first time and be like man, I wish I had another, uh, wish I had another hook. You don't have to go buy another system and hang two hooks. You can just buy an extra clip 
and uh, feed it mm-hmm. onto that belt. And you can add as many hooks um, as you want. That thing is life changing, man. Um, no, you know, that. on public land, you know, you can't screw, you screw can't stuff screw in. in. Yeah. Right. So um, another thing that I bought this year, I think it's called a Doyle's hoist and it's around $30 too. And it's basically uh-huh. um, a retractable dog leash um, pretty much. Um, and you just clip it to your belt and um, clip it to your bow and you, you know, your bag or whatever, and you climb and it retracts as you climb. No more tangled ropes. I fought and yeah. fought and fought with that stuff. Um, yeah. It has a it has a little system on there that you kind of hook into. And it's um, if it has any slack in it, it tends to want to pull out. So I just cut it off, put a carabiner on there, clip it on yeah. real quick, climb up. You hoist your stuff up real quick, unclip that thing from your belt, throw it in your in your bag. Best thing ever, too, man. That's awesome. I actually thought about that. I was like, man, it'd be cool to have one of those things that like cashiers use with their little car, the little zip thing. But that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I ended up, I know Muddy makes some, um, and this, this like Doyle's brand, it might not be as popular, but I I ended up going with them because I read that the, the spring system and everything in there, I think it holds like something stupid, like 300 pounds. So I was like, I'll just spend the extra 10 bucks and get the one that holds more weight because um, I was using yeah. um, um, like paracord and I would have on my yeah. climber, I'd have two, two strings of paracord hanging down, one to pull up my backpack, yeah. one to pull up my bow. Yeah. And then by the time I get it all up there, it's all knotted and oh, those yeah. things are life changing, man. They, they really And are. when it's not cold and you're like trying to let your bow down, you're not wearing gloves that that uh, paracord just like eating your hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. Those, those retractables, those are, but yeah, it's funny. You mentioned that, uh, like the hunter safety system thing. I started using that this year too. I love that thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can pretty much get it in any tree. That's like, I don't know, six or eight inches in diameter, anything smaller yeah. than that. You probably don't want to be in the tree anyway. So, right. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. So, um, can you give me a little recap of your 2021 season? Do you end up shooting a deer or do you, do you go home empty handed? I went home empty handed, um, got a couple good stories, but, uh, um, I mean, man, my entire goal this, this season was to hunt a lot. Uh, that was, that was it. I knew that I had so much of a knowledge gap to make up. I knew that if I went hunting with Phil a bunch of times, like it would just kind of rub off on me. I'd see how he did things. I get the idea of, you know, these very basic stuff, like how to move through the woods quietly and, you know, just setting up and just watching all the little nuances and stuff, like all those basics. But then there's like, you know, learning like what tree is what tree and like what's a food source and, you know, like what isn't and what, how to position yourself between different points of interest and finding transitions and, you know, all of these different, you know, topography. Like it's just a very, very, very long list of fundamentals not to like scare somebody out of it, but like if you really want to be great at deer hunting, there's a long list of fundamentals that you've got to get before you really can start like thinking the game and understanding, you know, how to get after it. So, um, especially on public land. Uh, so, um, (laughs) I really felt like the whole season I was learning what I needed to know, like just after I needed to know it. So like, Mm -hmm. 
you know, in September, I'm, I'm learning these things that would have been helpful if I'd have known before, you know what I mean? But like, nobody can teach you those things, like all of these things They can give you pointers here and there, but ultimately you just got to get out. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of that, but man, I had a, a couple encounters like, um, out in Henryville, Phil and I, um, uh, he was in one tree with, uh, him and his, um, brother-in-law and I was in another tree in a climber and an eight point walked out right underneath me. And you want to talk about a little nuance. I was wearing, I was borrowing a lot of the camo I had and it was a particularly cold morning. So I was wearing Brad's um, Go Wild. He let me borrow like a ton of camo and I was wearing his duct coat. Um, and so this buck comes walking, I mean, right below me. I mean, seven, eight yards right there. Eight point. My heart was going a gazillion <laughs> miles an hour. Like it was insane. So I pull back and the coat right here, the coat goes uh-huh. Like just that little, and he kind of like, he like trots, you know, 10 yards right towards Phil. And before I got drew back again, Phil said, boink, <laughs> and <laughs> Phil shot it right in front of me. <laughs> so, so it was awesome for him too. That was his first like big, you know, big antler deer on public land, which was a huge achievement for him. Yeah. Um, it was really cool. I had no business shooting that deer. I got to pay my dues. Uh, but yeah, so I had, we, I mean, I was there, I was at the goal line, had, had my shot there. Um, I had shortly after that, uh, we were ground hunting there because it was such a freaking long hike and we had been out there so many times we were sore and tired and we're like, let's just get in there quick and quiet one morning and we'll kind of, you know, hide behind some stuff. Here's another lesson don't sit where the sun is going to just like beat down on you, find you some shade. So me and Phil are sitting there kind of next to this log, like behind what we, you know, a bunch of weeds and this 10 point comes out in the same spot. This eight point came out, except instead of being in a tree, which if I was in a tree, it would have been at five yards. Uh, I was about 40 yards away and he was just staring right at me. He took a pee in a rub or in a, in a scrape, he took a pee and he like looks over it at me and Phil and just like locks on and like obviously (laughs) knows something's up and there was no way I was going to be able to like draw back or anything. So I was just like paralyzed. Me and Phil are just sitting there looking at like the biggest deer we've ever seen on public land, just nothing we can do. And so for probably 15 minutes, me and this deer, like we're making eye contact and he like, he never like spooked, but he like kind of slowly walked away and then like would stop and turn and look at us. Yeah. And try to apparently catch this is common. He tried to catch you. Try uh-huh. to, if they're trying to suss you out and see like, you know, is there something going on over there? I know something's different, but is it dangerous? All this stuff's running through his head. So we were just trying not to move and not to spook him to hopefully kill him another day. Um, and he ended up kind of walking off and, we hung out there for a while, but he never came back. We heard him off in the woods, but he went to the other side of the hill and likely bedded down. So missed the shot of that guy and then had a doe come in at about like 60 yards. I was actually uh, rifle hunting and took a shot and just absolutely smoked a huge branch. And so I, uh, I missed her. So I had, you know, three real chances, but uh, didn't, didn't, uh, 
finish anything up, unfortunately. So well, don't don't take it too hard. The the first doe um, that I ever the first deer I ever shot at with was that bow uh, that Martin that I borrowed. I had no business shooting. Probably um, was the wrong draw length and everything else. I had a doe come in, and um, you ever seen them do the old kick where they just st- st- uh, st- stare at you and they just kind of like kick their leg? Um, uh-huh. She was at ten yards. And I was sitting on a bucket in this woods that um, a buddy of mine had taken me to. I just went in that morning, never scouted it. I had no business being there, but um, 10 yards, uh, front chest shot. And I stuck that muzzy right in the tree next to her and she ran off laughing at me. So um, it happens to all of us. Yeah, it's uh, right. it's funny that you talk about the the loud clothing because something that I I, I wear first light now, which is super quiet. Um, mm-hmm. But when I was buying camo and stuff from Cabela's and Bass Pro, and I'd go there and shop once a year, maybe pick up some new stuff. Um, anytime I pick up hunting clothing for deer hunting, basically any hunting, I don't really waterfowl hunt, so it probably doesn't matter for that. But uh, mm-hmm. if it makes any kind of noise, I put it right back on the rack because I already know yeah. um, just that yeah. little little bit will completely ruin hundreds and hundreds of hours of work that just really yeah. <laughs> matter at that second yeah i ended up uh getting my own camo uh for the end of the season and for this upcoming season i went with under armor so yeah. it's it's really quiet stuff too but yeah i mean he i came and i told brad about that and he was like dude that was for like you know butt cold in the winter and you're rifle hunting like you don't want to be anywhere close to a deer wearing that thing and i was like i, didn't, <laughs> I had no idea like, yeah. nobody told me that that's I was funny. just cold, so I grabbed the thickest thing that you gave me. Like I, I didn't it know. Goes, it goes back to uh, you saying people can tell you all this and tell you all that, and you can listen to all these podcasts, but until you go out yep. and make that mistake, it won't really, yep. truly stick in your head. Now you've got that ingrained. Like you probably went home that night and you're like, "I'm not wearing that ever again." Like ever you got to learn from your mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the best um, teacher. So once deer season's over. Um, What's your plans like now? I know you said you're going to do some fly fishing. Uh, didn't mm-hmm. we talk about you uh, you hunting some rabbits or something a couple weeks ago? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, we went and uh, squirrel and rabbit rabbit hunted and deer scouted. Honestly, we were out there, you know, doing a bunch of stuff. And um, yeah, we ended up seeing a bunch of, or we saw like three rabbits and a few squirrels, but we didn't end up shooting anything that time either um we're more like nature enthusiasts that just like carry yeah. guns around i guess i don't know <laughs> but, uh, yeah so uh I, I you know i'm I'm game for that type of stuff might go coyote hunting uh saturday but you know it's just i, I just love doing stuff outside I've, i'm gonna fish an absolute ton this spring and summer um I'm, i love bass fishing a lot of my buddies bass fish a lot um really into trout fishing um i got and fly fishing in general so like i got a a a new um eight weight rod so i'm going to try to fly fish for some bass um you know i i made up with all this stuff might go do some steelhead up in northern indiana um yeah i'm 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 game for it i'm not i'm not a big hiker i don't like to just hike for the sake of it but uh other than that i'm i'm into it so so uh, pretty much I, uh, anything the buddies are into, I'm, I'm, I'm game. If it's outside. I've touched on this before, but I'm going to touch on it now just because you kind of made this analogy. You said that you're not real big into like hiking because maybe you, maybe you like to take from the woods or something. I don't know. Like you want to bring something <laughs> home. 
So you're a big fisherman. So I want to ask you this. I'm super against, not that I like keep over my limit or anything, but I'm like super against going fishing and throwing the fish back if they're sizable for me to keep. And I talk to a lot of guys at bass fish and they're like, you know, obviously like I'm not going to keep like a little 12 inch bass. Like if it's a decent size, like three, four pound bass, like that's big around here. Like I'm taking that thing home and eating it. And these guys <laughs> at bass fish, which you bass fish are like, no, it's like a sin to eat a bass. <laughs> so are you that way? And if you are, it's okay. But what is the deal with that? <laughs> Uh, I don't think it's a sin to, I don't personally do a lot of it. I'm just, I'm ate up with the process of catching them. Like I'm addicted to just like bass bites hook and then I fight bass and then I just yeah. let it go. Um, you know, I'm, I just, I'm not a very skilled cook. And like I said, I didn't grow up, you know, with like hunting and fishing being a large part of my life. My dad didn't, you know, teach me to do that. He taught me to play baseball. We had, you know, a great relationship and all that stuff, but that wasn't part of what we did. So yeah. I'm kind of deficient in that way of like, even if I did catch a fish that I would like to eat, uh, I would probably do it a disservice on my own. Like I would need someone to like help me in that process. So um, I've got buddies that are that way. Derek that I was talking about earlier, like first thing he does when we go to Hatchery Creek to catch trout is he catches his five man limit or his uh, five fish limit at the top. And then we go down and try to catch bigger fish. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not against it. And the reason I don't like really hiking, I say, is like, I just, I like the sport of something. Like, I don't yeah. feel like I need to take, I like, I, I, I want to be chasing something and have a purpose for like why I'm out there. So like, I might not like hiking, but I love scouting. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I, I like, I'm not just walking aimlessly. Like I'm, you know, I'm looking for something and I'm thinking about like things and trying to come up with a plan for deer season, stuff like that. So um, yeah, I, yeah I, I totally I, I get, get that. that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, I totally get that hiking thing. Like, um, <clears throat> I always say not that I have anything against national parks or anything. That's all great, but I'm not one of those guys that's going to go to a national park and hike around some trail that like 500 other million people are just hiking around, uh, you know, a 10, 15, 20 minute trail. I want to be like out there seeing stuff. Like, I feel like Obviously, people have probably touched it, but I want to be somewhere that I, I feel nobody has touched. I want to be on the adventure. Like, I don't want to go to mm -hmm. Alaska and visit a national park. Like, I want to go out there and, like, be on the verge of death. <laughs> so, um, I, to I totally get the, the adventure part of it. Um, so, do you do you catch any crappie? I love to crappie fish, but I never – I see people do that with flies, don't they? um yeah i mean my buddy jacob does i've never done i've done bluegill and stuff like that um yeah. i usually if i catch crappie it's on accident like i'm i'm pretty exclusively bass uh yeah. when i'm when i'm doing that i know you're one of the you're one of those guys i i see it now yeah yeah i don't have <laughs> you know i don't have anything against it i like i said i'm just like super ate up with bass fishing and like i tend to like like fixate a little bit you know like i I'm, I'm like always thinking and learning about like bass fishing or rainbow trout fishing or deer hunting yeah. or turkey hunting coming up. Like right now I'm like very fixated on fly fishing and turkey hunting because like that's what's coming up. And so everything I'm reading and listening to is about those things. So, you know, I'm sure that I could get talked into, you know, being pumped about crappie hunting or crappie fishing too, but 
I just haven't yet. So. I think <laughs> it's, it's um, for me, I'm really weird. Like I'll go sit in a tree stand knowing that nine times out of 10, I'm probably not going to see a deer or even shoot a deer, but I'll mm-hmm. sit there for eight, 10 hours, whatever it might be. Yeah. But fishing for me, like if I don't get a bite within 20 minutes, like I'm packing up and moving. I don't know what it is <laughs> about the difference of being on water or on land. Yeah. It's kind of the same concept. I'm probably more mm-hmm. likely to catch a fish, honestly, but um, I just yeah. can't seem to wait it out that long. Maybe fly fishing would be better for me because it's more active. I get bored easy, I feel like, but I don't when I'm hunting. So, yeah, I mean, the way I bass fish, I bass fish similar to like how I fly fish. Like, I don't like to do a lot of just like sit still. I never bobber bass fish. Like, I'm always, you know, running different lures and trying different things. And like in my head, there is there is the right lure for like any given circumstance. Like, I am just I am throwing the wrong thing and presenting it the wrong way or something like that. And so like I always feel like I'm just you know, one tweak away from, you know, catching something and, you know, being pumped about it. So it's happened a lot, you know, like where I'm out there and I'm ready to move and then I'll just like mix something up and throw it. And it's because I was thinking, you know, like, oh, the water is, you know, this way and they're feeding on that and this is their time in the spawn, blah, 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 blah. You do all this math and then you produce an idea. Sometimes it doesn't work, but I always feel like there's, there is a right answer in, in my head, whether I'm, I'm maybe, maybe there's not, but I, that's just how I think about it. So I'm, I'm, when I'm out there and I'm standing there and I'm casting, I'm, it's not mindless. I'm like, Oh man, you know, maybe this new idea is going to work. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah, always got hope. You ought to keep some of those bass, bring them in to go wild. Let everybody cook them up for you. They're tasty. I know, right. <laughs> that might be something I need to add to my uh, repertoire is uh, cooking this summer and figure that out. So, so, uh, uh we talked a little bit about maybe you you know you work in kentucky you live right there um other than like maybe kentucky Mm -hmm. you got any any plans to travel and hunt in the future i know it can be expensive it can be i mean phil and i literally like we had a we had a chat close to the end of the season was like man let's let's like plan out some trips and stuff you know to go uh out some places but uh he's he's expecting a baby soon and there's you know just variables like that make it kind of tough um we definitely talked about going to ohio try to get a buck tag um i mean there's just some honey holes there and you know it could be really cool but where where's the honey holes at yeah right (laughs) (laughs) uh the yeah so we're, we're we're trying to think through you know some places to go but the way I feel about it right now is like, I, I really want to get good at hunting where I'm at. Like I, I really want to figure out my backyard and then, you know, maybe get too big for my britches and go after an elk or something like that. Like, obviously that would be incredible. Um, but you know, that elk hunting is, it's a dream, but it's not even really like on my radar. I don't have any actionable goals towards that. Um, you know, I think going to Iowa would be cool. Um, but I don't know. I don't, I don't have a ton. I, I would really enjoy like getting to go hunt with a lot of my friends I've made, you know, from go wild, like, a, you know, creators and like podcasters and stuff like that. People that I just know from the platform. And like, it's, I, I love bringing people into my world and like showing them like, you know, this is where I fish and this is what I use. You should try this and da, 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 like, and kind of teach them. And I, I think it'd be super fun to, you know, just go do stuff like that. I don't really care where it is as much as it would just be a blast to like 
go learn somebody else's world and and like have them kind of teach me their ropes and kind of deal. So, um, so yeah, so I don't know. Two things here. Uh, one, Go Wild should do some kind of thing with um, all the DNRs where they give a, a discount on on out of state tags. I don't know if you you earn points, you get like fifty percent off a tag, but man, that would be awesome. Probably never. Possible. That would be awesome. Um, they'd lose a lot Maybe. of money. Maybe never know. <laughs> never know. Never um, know. Secondly, does Go Wild ever do any sort of um, like regional meetups or anything like that for like their members? Mm, Adam, uh, so oh, am I touching be... on something new, huh? <laughs> yeah. So this year we will um, we will be doing some of that and potentially um, some really massive stuff that I can't talk about, um, but. I can say that we will be doing um, some meetups this year. Uh, that's that's part of you know like the stuff I work on. So I've, I know we've got some some budget and time earmarked to do that. You know, hopefully in a in a time when you know you know COVID and all that stuff is, we'll find a spot where we can go and we don't have to worry about a bunch of stuff. Um, and obviously, we'd want to do it safely. So there's a lot of things to consider but we are super interested in doing that um and and doing it doing it upright so keep an eye out uh that that's that's coming yeah i definitely will i would uh it would be super cool to meet up with a lot of those people i chat with a lot of people on go mm -hmm. wild and uh, almost feel like yeah. i've known them for a long time they've, yeah they've, they've become my like online social friends it's, it's just a <laughs> weird thing it's almost like you feel like you I need know. to meet them I know. Um, yeah, I'm the same way, man. I've got a bunch of people like that on there. So uh, you said Ohio. So this brings me to this question here. I just got a couple more. Oh, yeah. um, you're talking about going to Ohio, possibly. Do you ever feel like Indiana mm -hmm. is an overlooked state? I always feel like, you know, the hunting public, all the big podcasts out there, they're always talking about going to Iowa. They're going to Kentucky. They're going to Ohio. Mm -hmm. Why has nobody ever come to Indiana? Why has nobody ever talked about Indiana? Because there's some giants killed in Indiana, especially yeah. southern Indiana where I'm at on the Ohio. Well, there is some giants. Yeah. That's where most of the public land is, you know, it's southern Indiana. Uh, and uh, the hunting public actually did come to southern Indiana yeah. this year. Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people realized it. Um, but, no, I think it's because, you know, there's – I mean, there are like more consistently bigger deer, um, like over the years in some of these other states, you know, I think that's a big thing where we happen to be very close to some of the like most primo whitetail states in the country. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, the tags aren't like terribly expensive. I mean, I'm not like necessarily going to campaign to have a bunch of people come in here and hunt our public lands. <laughs> but I knew that I'm was coming. <laughs> you know, I love it. And the more people, the better, honestly. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all good, but um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I I'm, I'm glad that there is so much competition in the area for like quality deer hunting that, you know, there's not like one concentrated spot, like some of the other States have gotten where it's just, you know, everybody goes there and hunts and it does kind of make for a, a tough experience. So um, you know, I hope more public land does get open so that more people can get into hunting without having all the crowding issues that we're having and stuff in some specific places. Not so much here. I don't know about you, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't run into 
to much crowding at all. I mean, I, I've never – like this season, we didn't run into a single person, um, you know, coming into our spot or going into their spot or anything like that. I think it's all about, like, you know, finding a place where likely – where people aren't likely to go and being willing to hoof it out there. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I think maybe – the reason is a lot of people get like a week or whatever to take off work and they want to up their chances. Mm. So they want to go to like what they feel is the best state Um, where, where I'm at. I, I only have one uh, fish and wildlife area. That's really like close to me. It's only about 15 minutes from my house and it's pretty, Mm. um, it's pretty saturated with people. Honestly, like I wouldn't go in there in Mm. gun season. You probably would get shot. Um, mm-hmm. but most of like Hoosier national forest and stuff, that's all going to be like an hour for me. So, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm going to try to get maybe up to Hoosier national. I never actually hunted up there. Um, which is okay. kind of shocking. We'll go out together I, this year. Yeah. Let's do it. That's I, we uh, hunt there a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's your number one goal for 2022? In general? Yeah. Well, Hunting wise, I guess. Hunting wise, ah, uh, maybe it could be a life I mean, goal. I mean, they kind of mm-hmm. tie tie together. You do work for a uh, an outdoor company, so yeah. Um, I mean, they're definitely different. Uh, hunting, I would say. I mean, I, I would I would love to to take a deer this year. I mean, I feel like a lot of the the things that I learned this year, like just how I'm thinking about this hunting season and stuff, is just world's different than how i was before um and i'm i'm really excited you know we're we're scouting now so like yeah. i just i really feel like it, we're gonna have a lot more opportunities to succeed next year um you know i don't i don't need to kill the biggest buck or anything like that I, i'll be elated to just you know take anything um you know a, a mature deer would be awesome but uh i don't you know, I don't, my ego won't be hurt if I kill a small doe. You know what I mean? Like I, I will be very excited and very proud. Um, yeah. And then I think like uh, a big goal of mine is just to, to spend a lot of time traveling with my wife this year. Uh, we're going to camp a bunch um, and just spend a lot of time together. we got a new dog and um, you know, I, I, I think that would be an awesome thing if we could spend a bunch of time just, together out in nature and hanging out so that's that's a big goal of mine take the take the dog swimming in the in the lake while you're fishing yeah (laughs) i don't know how that would help the fishing but that's all right um yeah um you ever want to meet up do uh you're not that far away i don't know how how far exactly from evansville you're probably an hour and a half or so um i would guess um yeah yeah i I don't even want to shoot i just want to film so i'll just go along and film you the whole time I'm I'm super big into wanting to do that. So uh, if you're if you're just if you you're to go filming, on camera, <laughs> yeah, I'd be I'd be down for that as long as I don't have to lug the stuff around and you know have to do all the production. If you want to roll with that, I'm I'm game. That'd Heck be, yeah, that'd be fun. You so, can catch uh, me and Phil being goobers in the woods. <laughs> yeah, I might. Uh, I'll send that to Brad or whoever does the everything, and they can throw that up as a like a promo or something. I don't know. Um, Heck, why not? Um, I guess the last question would be, uh, what would be your dream hunt? Oh man. Um, I mean, I would, you know, absolutely love to go on like a, I, 
I mean, an elk hunt, but I would, my dream hunt would be to like successfully do a DIY like elk hunt in like Colorado or something like that. But that is yeah. like so many years away, like so, so, so many years away and so many things in between me and that goal, but uh, it's a dream. So, you know, that would be, uh, and I'd like to have Phil there with me too, you know, just cause we, you know, going through all this and, and learning together, it'd be, it'd be great to, to take down an elk together, but. I've never even done a bugle before in my entire life. So yeah, that's where I am working towards that. So. Yeah, guys from Southern Indiana don't know how to do that. Just a grunt tube no. and maybe some bleach. Just a grunt no, I, I wouldn't even know where to start with an elk bugle. I would, uh, yeah. I'd probably have the people out West. Uh, I'd be the laughing stock for sure. Um, well, you got to start somewhere, man. So, uh, Real quick, just tell everybody, I've got your uh, Go Wild tag down here at the bottom of the screen, but tell everybody where they can connect with you if they want to um, link up on social media. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn and Go Wild. Uh, that's that's it. Um, I used to use Facebook and Instagram and, and all the others, Snapchats and whatever else. Uh, I don't do it anymore. Um, so I'm, I'm Go Wild and LinkedIn. Uh, I think my accounts are still active on those platforms, but if you message me there, I won't get it. So uh hit me up on go wild or linkedin and i'm very very likely to respond um i'm always open to that kind of thing Braden's uh anti instagram and facebook but we won't get into all that right now either <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right that's right we won't get all right man uh i appreciate you coming on and uh I'll let you get out of here I, I appreciate you taking the time i know you weren't feeling all that great and you've been uh having the flu from the the um outdoor show and all that so uh I, I really do appreciate it no it was fun man it was good to good to meet you and actually talk to you and yeah i appreciate you having me on yeah man i'll uh i'll uh, catch up with you on go wild yes sir Sounds all right man good. i'll see you see ya hey everyone thanks for tuning in to another episode of the hunt the wild podcast if you enjoyed the show and it's brought you some sort of value i'd love if you could give me a rating and a review just a few seconds of your time can help me better understand the type of content you all enjoy, and it would mean the world to me to hear from all of you.